Good morning, everyone. So after today, you can officially put your Christmas music away, for those of you who don't like Christmas music, just saying. For those of you who do, well, there's a little clash going on there. I'm just thankful that these will be gone and I get to walk a little bit more while I'm up here. <sighs> Anyways, good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to welcome those who are downstairs and listening from, as I call them, the dungeon dwellers. Haven't been with them for a long time, but looking forward to maybe being back down there with them sometime. The guys who are online too, welcome to them as well. And uh, of course, as Mike said to all of you who are new and visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. We have been going through a series, and we've been looking at specific words or phrases that we found in the Christmas story and uh, today we're going to be looking at the last one, glory to God in the highest. I think this is so appropriate and so fitting as we have walked our way through a number of um, words and hopefully you saw that on the bumper, they were highlighted for you, each one. Last week, if you remember, <clears throat> we were talking about this word, behold. And the idea is instead of holding something in our hands, Beholding means that there's something that we're holding in our, in our minds or in our hearts, right? We're, we're considering all of this. And I think it's appropriate then as we've been considering that this uh, concept of glory to God in the highest is going to be now uh, in our minds. If you remember, we saw this as uh, we put it up there for you in Luke chapter 2. The context of this in the Christmas story is that the angel has appeared to the shepherds and has told them some tidings, if you remember this, right? And he, then as all the other angels appear with him, they say in praise, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I've been kind of wrestling with this a little bit as I've been studying it and thinking through this. And um, probably what I've kind of come to as a conclusion is that I, I would like to think that my life has been um, glorifying to God. And I would like to think that there are times when I'm making decisions that are glorifying to God. But I think as I look back over it, um, there's a certain amount where I would say there's been a failure to have that as a motivation, to have that as something that really affects me enough where decisions that I make, things that I'm thinking or whatever, there's a consideration of, but does this bring glory to God or not? And so because of that, this has really been challenging for me, really encouraging. I hope it is for you too, as we talk about this. When the angels spoke of this and, and they said, glory to God in the highest, there was, there was a reason for that. They saw something and we want to look into that. Before we do that, I want to remind you again of a, of a passage that we've been constantly putting up here as a bit of a theme for us to, to see this. Remember in John, he says this in verse 14 of chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that's the Christmas story, right? He became flesh. He took on flesh. And then he dwelt among us. And John says, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw something. Those disciples observed his glory, and they actually were changed as a result of that. And that's kind of what we want to do. We want to see that same. We want to behold his glory. We want to see this so that it brings about a certain amount of change in our life. But that change is for the purpose 
of God receiving more glory. It's not so that we become better people, although that will happen, but that God gets glory for all of this. So I want to talk about some past opportunities for God to get glory, and, and specifically in the Christmas story as we've been looking at this. And just as I, as I went through this, and I'm thinking, okay, these angels are saying glory to God in the highest. What was it? What were the elements of this story that caused them to respond in this way? And if we can identify them and look at some of them, then maybe we'll be responding in some of the same way as what the angels did. I, I like what Mike said, that there'll be some day when we'll be actually with them and praising God together with them. That's going to be an amazing day. But what about today? Let's be thinking about that today. So as I, as I wrestled with some of this and began to think through this story, what were some of the things that, that came out that began to show? Walk with me. I got about 14 for you. And last uh, night I went about 15 minutes over. So we got to move. Okay. <laughs> right quick. First one, salvation. Now from a human perspective, you would think that we would put that as priority on the list, right? Like here's the things that bring glory to God, salvation. But the reason why at least I would put that first on the list is because how it affects me right? Oh, I'm saved. Yes, this is good, right? Glory to God, I'm saved. But we want to look at this from the perspective of God. Why are the angels saying glory to God in the highest? What is it that has to do with salvation that brings glory to him? <clears throat> this to me is such an amazing thing. You think about this, God... Um, I don't want to say determining because it, it implies that he had this thinking process and now he comes to this conclusion. And God being all-knowing knew exactly what the best way was for salvation. But if you look across this world and you look at any religion and any belief system, anything that has to do with saving of our soul in any kind of a way, guess what? They all have one thing in common and that is performance. Every one of them, you got to do something. God brought about salvation the only way possible. It was through his son coming. Do you realize that it necessitated the son of God coming to this earth if salvation was going to be ours? There was no other way. He had to send the son. So when these angels are looking at it, there he is, right there in the manger. And they can see that. They've told this, the shepherds, guess what? He's already been born. You'll find him in a manger. Go have a look at him, right? We looked at this before. So there's something about this salvation. He's the only one. There's no one who's dreamt this up. He's the only one who thought this as far as, guess what? It's not what you do. It's what I'll do for you. That's salvation. He gets glory for that. How magnanimous of him, right? How thoughtful and caring of him to provide that for us. Well, if you remember, he says, um, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men, right? So peace is also another thing that, that comes with all of that. This is something that the angels saw. This is why they were speaking of the glory of God. Why? Because here is an enemy being reconciled back to God. And the, and the process of that reconciliation has now begun in the coming of this Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you think about this for a minute, people. <clears throat> we were enemies of God. Stiff-necked, rebellious against him, 
actively working in opposition to godliness. All of us, before we became saved. That's true about every one of us. God provides a way for peace between he and us. No more enemy anymore. He actually provides a way, and the way in which he does that is providing his own son as the sacrifice. This is incredible. Glory to God. Thank you. That's what this is about. Glory to God. He said, thank Tom. said, thank you, God. Right? Why? Because we're recognizing an honor to him. We're recognizing esteem to him, an appreciation, a glory to him for having done these things. The angels got it. We're getting it, maybe, right? We're in process of getting that. Well, he also said goodwill, peace and goodwill, right? Do you realize that that word is telling us that God had a heart for us? He wasn't doing it begrudgingly. He wasn't doing it because, well, all right, son. There's no other way. I guess you got to go. Okay, dad, I'll do it if you say I have to, right? It wasn't that kind of a thing. It's goodwill. He actually has a heart that's for us. I'll tell you what, we struggle with this, don't we? How many times have you wrestled with the thinking that God is against you, that God is doing something contrary to your best interest? But he's not doing that. Even while you're an enemy, he still had a heart of goodwill towards you. It is leaning our way. It's not leaning away from us. It's coming towards us. No, no wonder they're going, yes, this is amazing stuff. And so began a perfect life. And if you study it throughout the scripture, you you can't but be in amazement. How incredible of a person he was and is. The beauty of him, not so much in his physique. The scripture tells us that he was just not unique, right? He wasn't just like, whoa, now there's a handsome guy. He's just normal. But there's something about his character, something about his quality Something about him that as you behold him, then you see him and you worship him and you are in awe of him. A perfect being living here, dwelling among us. And we get to behold all of that. We also see his wisdom in this. What a plan, huh? Who, Who would have thought of such things? Who would have considered all of this? Who would have laid it out so well? He did. And now it's coming to fruition. He he has said clear back in Genesis, this is what's going to happen. And now he's bringing it about. Wisdom. And the angels are seeing this. And they're recognizing, wow, God, this is amazing. We wouldn't think this way. You know what? The angels are smarter than us. And they're not thinking of this either. It's the wisdom of God in it. And we're blown away by it. We also see then his love. It says in 1 John 4, 9, so that we won't miss this, he says, in this the love of God was manifested or displayed towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The coming of Christ was a display of his love. You know John 3, 16, you're familiar with that? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. There it is again. Same author, writing the same words. It seemed to kind of consume John talked about this a little bit. What love he has for us. John actually says in chapter 3 of 1 John, he actually says, oh, he actually uses that word behold, just so you know, behold. 
what manner of love, what foreign kind of love that God has for us that we would be called the children of God. This is amazing stuff, that he would love us like this. And, and so the angels see that. They recognize in the coming of the Christ, here it is, love being displayed. There's another one, grace. Totally undeserved. Think about the characters in the story. Mary, did she deserve to be Jesus' mom? No. In fact, she recognized that, right? Joseph, did he deserve to be a, 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 a pseudo, right, like father of him? In other words, he, he wasn't his real father, but he was his earthly father. An opportunity to, to be a part of all of that, to care for him in the raising of him. He didn't deserve it. No. Pick through there. Shepherds. What, why them? Why those guys up on that hill? Grace. All along through the story, you see this poured out. And if you take time for any of the words that I've been uh, telling you so far and continue on with it, if you just take time to study them and read them, guess what you will find? More and more of the glory of God. I don't have time to dig into it. Only to touch base with you and say, I'll tell you what, the more you understand of God's grace, the more the glory of God is amazing to you. And you want to praise him. You see him as worthy of all of that. You know, there's another word that closely ties in, and that's mercy. God had mercy. He provided a way for us to escape from his wrath. That's what was, excuse me, what was coming, <clears throat> right? We talked about this as far as death was one of the things. We needed a savior because we were going to die. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Why? Because the wrath of God demands that. Well, when you realize how close you are to all that and how God provided a way for you, glory to God. Absolutely amazing. <clears throat> Here's another one. His power. Do you realize what kind of power it took to accomplish what he did on that day? Do you know that as the creator, he made it so that a man and a woman would join together and have a child, and here's a woman having a child with no man. I've mentioned this to you before. It astounds me. <clears throat> what, what kind of power is necessary for that to happen? To, to affect the, the, the law that he has placed into being, right? The, the creative law, as we call it, not creating something from nothing, but as far as we're concerned, creating a child. <clears throat> and yet God is able to do that. You think about that for a while, spend some time, and pretty soon you're, you're realizing that his capabilities, his abilities are far beyond ours. And so it was for the angels too. This power that they were seeing displayed, they couldn't do it. They couldn't provide for us, but he could. And so guess what? Glory to God, they say. Able to accomplish everything that he sets out to do. <clears throat> Another one, all of his promises were fulfilled. You realize that? You realize that <clears throat> time and time again through the last hundred, maybe even several thousand years, God has been saying, this is what's going to happen. And this is how you'll know it's going to happen. And he, and he gives certain promises. <clears throat> We've talked about some of these. Born of a virgin, for example. Lying in a manger. These are promises, things that he said. This is the way it's going to be. He fulfilled every one of them. When you begin to think of the possibilities, 
of how all of them could come together in this one moment. Just the mere fact that a registration was required so that Mary had to go to Bethlehem in order to have the baby, and she did it in her nine month, right? Like she did it in time so that she would deliver there in, in Bethlehem rather than, hey, six months before. Perfect timing. Why? Because God fulfills everything that he does. He is a true and faithful God. That's another one. He's true and he's faithful. In our world today, we have politicians who tell us all kinds of stuff and they will as the election's coming up, right? And you're constantly, at least I am, I'm so cynical these days. I'm not sure if I'm being told truth anymore. In fact, more times than not, I believe I'm not being told truth because of how this has gone on. So in contrast to that, here we have a God who speaks the truth, who tells us the truth. Isn't that glorious in and of itself? We live in a world where where even church leaders at times, untrue, unfaithful, not God. You can count on what he says. And so here the angels are observing this. There it is. He's predicted this. He's spoken about this. And guess what? He's true. He tells us the truth and he does what he says. And there it is. We're looking at him. No wonder they're glorifying God. And so they worshiped. Oh, I forgot to tell you that there. (laughs) Matthew. It speaks of this. All this was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. He did all of this to fulfill what he had. See, I'm a kind of person. I like to keep all my options available to me. You like that kind of thing? You know, like Sue wants to know certain things. And I'm like, well, you know, I hold off that decision as long as I can because I like my options. Right? Right? I don't want to be boxed in. And if it were me, I would have left this wide open. Not God. He tells us, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. All of this was fulfilled because he spoke it. He said it. There's another one. We've seen this. Angels worship him. They they recognized his glory. The verse that we're looking at here is glory to God in the highest And on earth. So that term highest seems to be speaking towards the heavens. Glory to God in the heavens, you could say, right? And then on earth, this. There's a recognition in the heavens. I don't even know how many angels were left there. If the whole multitude are are praising God here with the shepherds, I don't know. It doesn't tell us how many there were. But there's a recognition in the halls of heaven of the glory of God, and they worship him. They bow down and worship him. You are amazing, God. We esteem you as amazing. Look at what you're doing here. Look at how this all works out. Look at how you're providing for these enemies of yours who don't even know you, and some openly resist you, and yet you're providing all of this for them, and they worship. Same thing is true for people. If you remember, the shepherds, after they had seen Christ... It says that they began to go around telling everybody all that had happened here. This is what the angels have told us. And then we went and we saw this and this is what we saw. And you guys wouldn't believe this, right? And people worship God as a result of that. I saw this verse here in Isaiah throughout this month as I was studying. It kind of caught me, this word us. This is what it says in Isaiah 9, 6. He says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is given. And I thought of moms, right? Like, especially us dads who, yeah, well, we just had a baby. Who's we? 
right? Like, I just had the baby, the mom says. You didn't go through the labor. It was me. I went through this, right? And there's a certain amount of, like, that kind of thinking. But here in Isaiah, he's saying, unto us, all of us. It's not, you see, those angels, they worship God for something that they never received from him. What they glorified him over wasn't something that they were gaining as a result of that. But you and I are. That's why Isaiah says this. Unto us a child is born. Not just to Mary and Joseph. Yeah, he's their, he's their son. But unto us he's born. And not only that, unto us he's been given. Provided. That's why we celebrate with the gifts that we give. It's a representation of that, right? Right? And so we begin to recognize some of this stuff, and, and we worship him. Here's, here's another one. <clears throat> I think this is the last one. That God would become a man. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 2, it, it says this. It, there's an imploring for us to have the mind of Christ. It's a mind of humility. And in that humility, it says that he did not think that holding on, <clears throat> get this right here, that holding on to the expression of his deity. You understand what I'm saying? He's deity. He's God. He didn't ever uh, divest himself of that, just so you know. If he divested himself of being God, we're in trouble. That's not what the Word of God teaches, thankfully. But it says he didn't think it robbery or, or something to be held on to this expression of his deity. He gave that up, and guess what? He came in the likeness of man. He took on human form, in other words, is what he did. He became a person, fully God, fully man now, for you and I. That's incredible. Why would he do that? This glory that he had all before he ever took on his human form, why why would he do that for us? Because of a heart of humility and a heart of love. And so he takes that form on And he humbles himself further, even to the point of death, even further to the point of death on a cross. This is amazing for us. And so we, again, we esteem him highly. Think about this, people. If you remember, in the Old Testament, there were a number of times where Christ appeared. I don't know if you know that. We call them a Christophany, an appearance of the Christ, right? Here's an example. Do you remember when Abraham is in his tent and, and an angel shows up with two other angels with him and he's actually called the angel of the Lord. That's speaking of Christ. He showed up right there with two other angels and he talks with Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. There's just an example. My point is, is that he has already appeared a number of times in history in human form. Why did he not appear in human form on some road on the way to Jerusalem and say, here I am, I'm the Christ, now let's get done with this thing and it's all over? It's not what he did. He came in the form of a baby, in the likeness of men, of humans, and took on that and went through the process of growth and development. And you know what? It's interesting to me that the scripture only records his birth and then they're, they're um, running down to Egypt and coming back. And then we see him at about 12 years old going to the temple. Remember when he got left behind? <laughs> what a, we've done that too, by the way. Anyways, there are just a few little things that have happened that's recorded for us from the time of his birth until the time of his earthly ministry. All of the, the gaps that are in there 
But God saw fit to tell us certain things. Why? For this very purpose, so that as we would read through them and understand them, that out of our hearts we would glorify God. We would recognize you're amazing. Well, John did this. John also, in the past, we're talking still, right? Like John, this is what we saw in chapter 1, verse 14. He said, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John wanted to make sure that we caught that. So guess what? In chapter 2, he tells us a story. It's actually the first miracle that the Lord did. It's at a, at a wedding ceremony in Canaan, Cana, Galilee. And if you're not familiar with it, in that story, it tells us that wine was being passed out and they ran out. And Mary says, son, <laughs> they're out of wine. And Jesus says, what do, you, what, do you want, what do you want me to do about that? And she turns to the servants and she says, hey, whatever he tells you, do it. Okay. So he says, well, dip that out and take it to the wine master and give some to him. And guess what, people? They dipped water out and carried water, and when they poured it into his cup, it turned into wine. It's the same kind of miracle as when he was breaking bread, it says, and passing that out to thousands, that right within his hands, the bread was being multiplied, right? That's where the miracle was happening. <laughs> and so here's John telling us, oh, we beheld his glory. Do you want to know one of the ways that we saw it? Verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested, displayed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. There it was. And John will record multiple events. He'll actually, in John chapter 11, he'll talk about a guy named Lazarus who dies. And God says to his sisters, watch this. This is for the glory of God. Now you pay attention. Lazarus, come on out of there. And out he comes and God shows his ability over death right then and there. I don't know if every one of them went to their knees. If you saw a person walking out of the grave, how could you actually stand up anymore? Wouldn't that just drive you to, oh my word, we are in the very presence of God on our face just like that right? Here he comes out. And so John takes a time, a moment to tell us some things to help us to recognize the glory of God, that he is worth all of the esteem that you could give to him, all of the honor, all of the praise, all of the consideration of how awesome he is. He's making sure that we catch that. Why? Because it's not just in the past that this happens, it's in the present too. God is still doing the same thing. There is still the opportunity to behold his glory. And that happens and can happen through you and I. It's in our lives where we're seeing his glory over and over again. Let me pick out some things here for you just as examples. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we won't turn here real quick, but it's just in a context where Paul is writing to the, to the believers in Ephesus and he says, guess what? We were the first ones to trust in him to the praise of his glory. And you also then trusting in, in him to the praise of his glory is what he says. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, guess what? That salvation right there was to the praise of his glory. You've already been displaying that, whether you knew it or not. 
But it goes on then. In chapter 3 of that same book, he speaks there about we as a church functioning together as a church. And guess what? Bringing glory to God. How amazing is that? A bunch of different people coming from all different walks of life, having all different kinds of thinking. Do you know that we have a leadership team here? We don't have one person who leads us. We have a group of individuals who function in that. And do you know what they're trying to do? Okay, God, what do you want us to do? And they don't always get it right. But you know what's amazing to me? That even when they don't get it right and we go in the wrong direction, God still gets glory out of that. Because he begins to work in our hearts and, and where there's rift like this together, guess, he begins to mold us and mesh us. And, and that peace that we have with God begins to affect the peace that we have with one another. No wonder there's an endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, it says. These are all things that, that within this, this convoluted group of people, look around at yourselves. Guess what? God gets glory out of us. And I mentioned 2 Corinthians 3.18 to you last uh, week. We beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being changed. We've been transformed from glory to glory. The very glory of God is being displayed through your life. As you behold him, he does that transformative work. And it's the, the work of God in our lives that draws people. It's glorious. How in the world? Can a bunch of self-centered people ever make any kind of decision that's unselfish? That takes God is what it takes. How in the world can a bunch of proud individuals, and we're all chock full of it, how in the world can any of us ever make any kind of humble decision? It all comes back to God. It's Him. And He gets glory for all of this. Now, today, right now. This will also, just so you know, happen in the future. John, that same John that we've been looking at, he also wrote the book of Revelation. And if you study that book, you will find over and over and over exclamations about the glory of God. In the future, we're talking. But in Philippians, where we were before, at the end of that, after all that description of his humility and how he divested himself of that expression of his deity and, and took on the form of a, of a human being and, and, and humbled himself to death and even the death of the cross. Guess what? It says that the Father has highly exalted him. And so that every name, every tongue, every tribe, every people group, everyone, every knee will bow. Everyone will give glory to him. That's coming. Right now it's not happening. There's a lot of people who aren't glorifying God, but you get an opportunity to, and, he, and ultimately, he, he wins. He, we'll see it all. Amazing. So I want to ask you something here. I want you to consider, so we're, today is the last day of the year, right? And tomorrow we start a new one. Let's think about two things for a minute. One, what about this last year has brought glory to God? What have you seen Maybe it's in your own life, or maybe you've seen it in someone else's life, or, or, or maybe you've seen it in the way that God has been at work in this year. What has brought glory to God? And I'm not saying that from a bony finger perspective, like you need to be thinking, and if we can't find anything, then shame on you. I'm not talking about that, because that's introspective right now. We're not talking about that. We're thinking, what is it that brings glory to God? What is it about this year that we're looking at and going, wow, God, you're amazing, and we hold you up in honor as a result of that. 
And secondly, we're starting a new year. There's a verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What if you and I were to ask the Lord, would you, would you help us in this new year to behold your glory? Just like the disciples did, and they were changed, we want to as well, because we recognize you're going to change us. And, and we become a little bit, let's say, prayerful about this. A concerted effort, so to speak, an intentionality, let's see the glory of God. Let, let's watch. Let's see what he does in this year. What if we were to actually ask him to use us in a way that would bring glory to him? What if we were to actually ask him, you know what, Lord, that whole verse there in 2 Corinthians of, of beholding you, and as we are, guess what? Your spirit is doing a transformative work. That's what we're trusting you for. You see, because as I said, I, I found in my life that there's not always this kind of like this front and center perspective of the glory of God. I want it. Do you want it too? Would you join me in it? I'll just tell you, that's something I'm going to be praying about this year. Something I'm going to be trusting him for. <clears throat> because there's a couple other verses I just got to share with you in closing. This is what Rome, these are about glory. This is what Romans chapter 11 says. This became a precious uh, passage to me when my dad was passing away. A guy quoted this to me. And, and, and at the end, it says in verse 36, it says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You, you think about that. Stop. For of him. In other words, he's the source. Everything has come from him and that brings glory to him, just so you know. We become too complacent with all of this stuff, the, the whatever, the all things are. We become too complacent. This morning, I don't know if you were up when the sun came up or not. <laughs> I lived in Arizona for a number of years, and I thought, man, we got the best sunsets and the sunrises in the world. And I've traveled the world. I'll tell you, there was a beautiful one right here in Virginia today. Just for a few minutes. Why? Because God made it. He's the source of that. For of him, and then through him, he's the means by which that happens. Without him, there is nothing. It's through him that this is accomplished. And then it says, and to him. In other words, he's the goal. He's the purpose behind it. All of these things are made for him so that he gets glory for that. He's well-deserving of it too. And that's what he says, to whom be glory forever. It's because of all of this. When we begin to think about this, it's the whoop, whoop, right? Amazing, God, how you are. <clears throat> I want to read this for you here. I didn't put it up, but I want to I read it for you. In 2 Corinthians, we'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, catch this. Verse 6, I'm going to read 6 to 15. He starts out in verse 6 and he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. All right, you catch that? He's giving you a little context here. He's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something here. I'm going to tell you about a God. You know, the God that made light to shine out of darkness. He's the only true God, the only real one. But he made light to shine out of darkness. Have you ever tried that? You talk about power, spoke it into existence. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. 
He's the one who has shown in our hearts. Notice that's already past tense. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's talking to believers here. This is very synonymous with chapter 3, verse 18. Same kind of stuff. That God is revealing himself through us. He has shown in our hearts already to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. That other people might see this. How does this happen? In the face of Jesus Christ. Just look at him. Just look at him. And you'll see glory, amazement. Ah, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. There it is. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Like this is within your carcass, in other words. Earthen vessel that you have. With all of its bumps and bruises and warts and cracks and issues and whatever, right? How is it that a supreme being so amazing could get glory out of a life like yours and mine? It's astounding that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. There's a recognition. It's all of you, God. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. (laughs) Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That's called dying to self is what that's talking about. Always carrying about. Always making choices. Always being presented with an opportunity to say no to the flesh and yes to Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested or displayed in our body. There it is, people. This is a summation of what we're talking about. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or displayed in our mortal flesh. That it's needful for you and I to die to self. No wonder the Scripture implores us to do that. So that the life of Christ would be displayed then through ours. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what was written in the past, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Do you remember what I read to you in 1 John, in chapter 2 there, when he changed water into wine? Do you remember what it says at the end of that verse? You remember about his disciples? Remember? It says in his disciples, what? believed in him they beheld his glory and they believed in him there is an opportunity for you and i in beholding his glory to trust him that's another word for believe in him to have faith to walk by faith oh god we know who you are we've seen you in the christmas story and we have full confidence in you and so therefore guess what We also believe and therefore speak. We also have opportunities to tell others. Let me tell you something. I've told you before, I struggle with this. You know what I've concluded? It's not an issue of me gaining more confidence or or more boldness or anything like that. What the problem is, is beholding him. That's where it comes down to. it's It's a lack in the understanding of his glory. Because the more that I see this kind of stuff, the more I can't keep my mouth shut. The more it's like, i got to tell somebody this. This is amazing. I couldn't wait to get up this morning. Some of you don't look like that. 
So hopefully I've tried to warm you up. I almost got up here telling you, you know what, I'm going to get a little excited, but it's kind of a foregone conclusion, isn't it? This is amazing stuff, people. How do we keep our mouths shut when we see him, when his glory is revealed to us? Guess what? We begin to tell people about it so that they can believe too. And then they'll tell other people about it too. (laughs) I'm almost done. Here we go. Verse 14. Knowing, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. There it is amazing kind of stuff. (laughs) How do we take this in, huh? What a fitting conclusion to a year to stop and to think, God, you are amazing and we glorify you. To a God who doesn't need it at all. And every time we turn in that glorifying to him, he's glorified again because a bunch of people like us are on display For all the created world to see, including his angels, how amazing he is. We get to say that. Let's pray. Father, uh, I don't know how we do it sometimes, Lord. I don't know how when we stop and we contemplate the glory of you, we're just getting a little taste of it. We don't really see it in all of its splendor and wonder. But whatever we do see, Father, we're standing amazed. And yet somehow, Lord, we turn from that and we pursue sin. Sometimes racing towards sin. We're such contrary people. I see that in my own life. And I wish it wasn't so, Father, but it is. And in the midst of all of that, Lord, I begin to realize that even in that, oh, for me to agree with you that that sin brings glory to you. For me to choose not to sin, to walk away from that brings glory to you. For me to be in humility and recognize, yep, I'm a sinful person, (laughs) brings glory to you. These are all things of you, God, and there's so much more. So, Father, on behalf of all of us, I'm asking for this year that in some way, somehow, your glory would be a theme, that we would be thinking of you in the decisions that we make, the attitudes that we take, circumstances of life and how we interpret them. Father, that we would grow, we would mature in our understanding of who you are in your glory and give glory to you as a result of that. We're looking forward to this, Father. If you don't come this year, would you just work this into our life a little bit deeper? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.